0: Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, I'm your host Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry and today we're talking about running a 24-7 breaking news desk during the coronavirus pandemic. This year has been one full of disruptions and a good example of this comes from the New York Times. In February of this year it announced it will be launching a breaking news team in London. Then, one month later, the UK went into a national lockdown and those plans sort of went out of the window. Joining me today is Erin McCann, deputy editor of the New York Times Express Desk, its dedicated breaking news team. She leads a global team of reporters stationed in the US, Hong Kong, and now the UK. And two months ago, she jetted out to London to help in leading these operations. She talks to me today about how moving to the UK has allowed the New York Times to be a fully-fledged 24-7 team. But that is not without the significant challenges of remote working, both working with staff on different time zones and from their own homes, plus there's burnout to consider, working on a never ending and this year especially negative news cycle. We discuss more about how her team is continuing to serve up breaking news in these trying times. That's all to come, don't go anywhere, but first, here's something for your diary. As well as great editorial content, Journalism.co.uk provides media training for journalists, editors and other media professionals. Make 2021 the year of upskilling yourself. On the 11th of January, we are running a four-week online course for creating shareable news videos for social media, and that's led by Cassie show, an award-winning journalist and audience strategist, and the former audience development editor at Buzzfeed News and Quick Take by Bloomberg. For this course and all the other great courses we run, head over to journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Erin, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. What's the working situation like for you at the moment?
1: (laughs) My working situation right now is I have just muted a Slack conversation where we're trying to figure out coverage for a major snowstorm that is about to hit the the Northeast U S um, potentially epic snowfall, um, so we're just coordinating with uh, Metro Desk in New York and the National Desk in New York, trying to figure out what that looks like.
0: And, and you're here in the UK, where, where I am too, yes?
1: I am. It's it's nearing the end of my day and the earlier part of the New York day. So I've moved on from waking up, finding out if there are any fires that I need to put out, any fires that have broken out anywhere in the world that need us to cover them.
0: Erin, of course, we're here today to talk about the breaking news team, which New York Times uh, launched back in February. And then of course, a month later, the coronavirus pandemic sort of took hold of the world. So fast forward now to December, a lot of things has probably happened in between. Let's kind of retrace our steps and, and take us through kind of the timeline of events that happened from February onwards.
1: Yeah, we were, we were announced a great fanfare in February. I, I started to think about packing up my life and moving over here and what a summer would be like in England and um, then everything shut down. As, as you are aware, um, and we basically spent the summer triaging coronavirus coverage and watching the world try to reopen and fail to reopen, and then finally there was a window uh, late summer, early fall where I and my team could all finally get here um, and launch in earnest in October, eight months after we were meant to. Um, so now we've been here about two months and we're still kind of, you know, we landed and then the U.S. election was happening and then the vaccines started rolling out and it, there's never never a dull moment. But we are finally kind of getting our sea legs and figuring out what we look like and,
0: and how we work. So what was happening in between February and October exactly?
1: Um, there was a lot of learning how to be flexible, um, to give you some background on the Breaking News Hub, we're sort of an evolution and an expansion of a team that still exists and has existed at the Times for four or five years called the Express Team. We are at our core what that team always has been, which is fast, quick, twitch, digital centric journalism uh, at the New York Times, kind of making sure that the Times is on things that are. Trending and things that are breaking, um, which are often the same thing, or one turns into another, basically that thing that is dominating the conversation of the internet. Um, Often it would have been the Express Desk that jumped on that. And so this time last year, they started talking about expanding the Express Desk and kind of giving us more resources and a larger remit within the New York Times. Um, And that kind of evolved into what we now call the Breaking News Hub. And the conversation then turned toward. Okay, so the breaking news hub existing in New York, our first editor would come on at 630 in the morning, our last editor would log off at midnight, we had one reporter who was based in Hong Kong. um, But largely, we were kind of unstaffed between midnight Eastern and the next day in the US. And so the plan to expand into London was to get us closer to having something like 24-7 coverage um, for the type of things that the express desk and the breaking news hub in New York had always focused on.
0: Mm. So let me understand this clearly. What does having a London office actually give you that you didn't have before?
1: Oh, it gives us so many more hours in the workday. Oh, okay. We are able to have eyes on the world for nearly the entire day. And that we are constantly replenishing with fresh eyes.
0: You're taking advantage of the time zone. Yeah um
1: there's a night editor on my team in new york who logs off around midnight or 1 a.m um when he's had a busy night and i'm up early we overlap um i feel terrible when that happens (laughs) um but basically you know he's he like the entire newsroom in new york is getting to the end of their day they're trying to wrap up um and i come in two hours later with fresh eyes yeah um the world looks a little bit different to me in my morning than it does to my colleagues in New York at the end of the day at midnight in New York. Right. Um, and so putting a team, putting my team here in London expands, expands the time zones for us, expands the number of working hours that we have in the day. Um, I can start something, I can hand it off to a colleague in New York who's about to log on. I can, I'll wake up here and I'll see a story that's maybe not urgent for us to cover, but I, I think that we should cover it, but I'm out of reporters over here. I can say, you know, right before I I got on this call with you, I was on a call with my New York colleagues who were all starting their day. And I kind of ran down here's, here's the three or four things that I saw out there that weren't urgent. And I know you have more reporters coming on in the day. I've triaged them for you.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then they're coming in and they're doing their own scans and kind of often finding the same stories. Um, mm. I love when we back each other up and like, I can say, I saw this over here and I think we could do this with it. And then somebody logs in at eight thirty and was like, I see that same thing and I love it. Let's do it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I get that. Passing the baton into each other. As I said before, taking advantage of the, uh, time zone and sort of having greater resources to be truly uh, 24-7, I guess. 2020 has been a hell of a news year, right, Heron? That's that's an understatement. What kind of an asset has this uh, breaking news team kind of been with kind of everything that we've seen this year, particularly towards, you know, the, the pandemic and also what we've seen over in the States as well?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we started this year, I'm thinking back to January and February, we sent Journalists from my team over to Hong Kong because the New York Times was starting to realize there's something happening, there's a virus. Um, we weren't quite sure what the coverage would look like or how ex- what it would become or what this year would become, but we very quickly the New York Times very quickly saw a need for more resources working Hong Kong hours overnight. So, part of what my team does is we have this great flexibility to sort of say this is the story of the moment we have an extra person or two we can throw at it we're either helping to run that coverage or we are just putting a person on a team that's already running that coverage providing extra resources that way and that's what we did January and February we had two journalists back to back go over and spend some time working in Hong Kong Um, and then they came back Um, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline but I think one came back right around the same week that the New York Times announced work from home. Um, so we had this reporter who is—we all, you know, back in January and February, we all thought, "What a strange experience for you to go to the other side of the world and cover this, this, this thing that has currently no impact on us personally in New York." And by the time she got back, we were, we were living it. Um, she was definitely our canary in the coal mine, where we had to. Ask about like what are masks? <laughs> you know, do you wear them everywhere? Because <laughs> she had gone and lived that, and then came back. You know, as we were ramping up what the breaking news hub is and what Express does, um, it was a lot of that. It was just here's a need. We have a person who can fill that need. Um, and then one of the one of those two journalists has now, when sort of the the nexus of the New York Times launched a coronavirus live briefing that has basically gone all day every day since i don't know the exact date but it was very early on in january um and one of the journalists who made that trip over to hong kong came back and was like you know i'm really interested in this story let me keep working on it and she has just been on that briefing wow
0: that's a hell of a beat (laughs) yeah
1: um we have we have had other journalists kind of Both reporters and editors from the Breaking News Hub have done, you know, stints on the briefing or they'll do, you know, a couple of months, a couple of weeks, a couple of days. Sometimes it's like, oh, man, there's just too much happening and they need they need a person for an afternoon. And we we fill that need based on whatever it is on a given day. Right.
0: I mean, my kind of perception, I guess, of breaking news is all cobbled together in a newsroom and, and, you know, going down to the wire. How does that kind of work in conjunction with working from home?
1: Oh, man.
0: Because <laughs> um, <laughs> the two seem diametrically opposed yeah. to me, and I'm dying to ask you about so, it.
1: So I will confess to I firmly believe in Slack or just some sort of transparent communication that is not on email, that is not um, not a phone call Necessary. I mean, you, you cannot beat a phone call for person-to-person conversation.
0: Right. But Um, you mean like instant messaging, direct messaging, this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm.
1: it's I wake up over here and I need to know what was discussed in the newsroom and what some of our leaders thought about, you know, something something happened and we did or we didn't cover it. And I need to know what like did we see it and pass? Did we see it and decide to throw some resources at it to investigate it? Like, what did we decide to do? And the best way to figure that out to have had a conversation somewhere in a public Slack channel. Um, I am imagining any of my Times colleagues hearing this and just giggling because I say this a lot in the newsroom. Just uh, right before I came on I was talking about coordinating uh, some storm coverage and basically what I did was you know there were three or four DMs between the social the social team and the SEO manager and the metro desk and talking to the day editor for national And what I did was we have a Slack channel, it is called the Breaking News Hub. And I went in that channel and I said, I'm starting a conversation right here between National and Express, the Breaking News Hub and and Metro, and we're gonna talk about what this is gonna look like. So there's a thread in there and it's like 50 messages deep. When, When we've sorted out what we're gonna do, I'll put another message in that hub channel and I will say, here's what we're doing. Just this like high level, thing is happening, the New York Times is on it, what is the New York Times doing? Here you go. Um, And to do that, I unfortunately spend a lot of my time trolling through dozens of other New York Times channels trying to figure out like, oh, yeah, they were talking about maybe covering that in styles or culture was talking about that and just connecting the dots between people musing all day long in
0: a Slack channel. I mean, hypothetically, if I was on your team right now as one of your reporters, what would the workflow look like?
1: We think of our entire team as our eyes and ears. So, like, I cannot be watching data miner 24-7. I cannot be watching Twitter 24-7, much as I kind of do. Um, I shouldn't be. It's unhealthy. Um, but basically, everyone on our team is constantly looking for something to cover. Um, so you're either scanning for something that you want to write, you're scanning for something that you just think the Times should write, or you are about to get tossed a story that the editors have already decided the Times is going to write and you're going to do it. What I love about our sort of side gig as trending news is there's always something to be working on when there isn't something urgent. Um, And so I, people have different plates spinning at different times. Um, I have one reporter who is currently working on updating a timeline of the coronavirus that, or of the pandemic. And he, he started this file back in, I think we first published it in April, March or April. And then we would add to it like every two weeks, you would just go through and kind of add a couple more items. And then by September or August, every time we'd go in to edit this thing, I would read it. And I had no memory of what had happened. <laughs> like when wait, Boris had coronavirus? When was that? And you remember like step by step living through this year. And so it's a mammoth file. Um
0: I mean, I'm I was just thinking, how on earth do you keep track of? who's spinning what plates, what plates, how many plates people have. And like, God, I imagine, I can't imagine what your Slack channel must look like to keep track of it. all.
1: Um, It's a lot of updates. It's a lot Uh of reporters logging on because our our reporter starts are staggered. Um, The first person over here logs in at 7 a.m. London time. Our last reporter logs in at 5 p.m. New York time. And so basically you're starting your day. You log on and you say, hi, I'm Jacob. I'm here. I'm working on this and I'm ready for breaking news. So, you know, you the editors are, you know, we have editors off on different days as well. We are seven days a week in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, somebody gets assigned something on my day off. I'm not going to remember that. And so we do sort of we back each other up in remembering, oh, wait, they were working on that story. Um, but can be pivotable. Pivotable is the word that we use, which is a ridiculous word. It's not actually one, but it's...
0: I was thinking, is that a word? <laughs> I'm not sure, but we'll 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 accept it.
1: <laughs> but it is. It's just like you have something that you're working on that mm-hmm. is not urgent. Yeah. And you are available to yep. pivot if mm-hmm. there's an earthquake. Super. Or you're on a daily that's a non-urgent daily, but we would like you to finish it today, so we won't pivot you for breaking news.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you sort of start to think of things as speed, as like this is urgent. We need this right now, and we need you to drop what you're doing and pick up this other thing because we have we and our and our bosses have decided this needs attention. Mm. Um, but we try to have people at different speeds so that you can still have the time and the flexibility to produce slightly more substantial articles. Uh uh-huh. Yep. Um, most of our reporters, I think, we try to do. You know, in a five day work week, you will do. Some weeks you will do three stories. Some weeks you will do five. Um, We try not to go above that, but we have in in from time to time.
0: Yeah.
1: um, I had, you know, we've had a we've had reporters do three stories in one day or contribute three stories in one day, and when we do that, you know, we try to think, okay, well, that guy that guy just had a day yesterday, (laughs) and so we we vary. We try to vary like, okay, well then tomorrow is your day to work on that story that you've really cherished and you've been trying to to wrap up.
0: Sounds like a lot of very close management of people and, and really just having to understand their needs very closely where they are at with their fatigue as well. Yeah, mm. I
1: think so. And I think one of the gifts, like I've been working, like I do breaking news. That's what I do. And like mm-hmm. one of the gifts I think of it is you cannot, you cannot do it all day, every day. No. You you simply can't. When our team was built many years ago, um, what my boss Patrick LeForge, did was, you know, we're set up. We have a morning group, we have an afternoon group, we have an evening group, and it's this staggered starts throughout the day, and we do these passing of the baton sort of things. Because if you try to cover all all of the news on the internet all of the time, you're just you're just shoveling like you're not. It never ends. Yeah.
0: There's been a really positive kind of conversation this year about burnout, and this is something I do want to come to you about, because it's not just the hours that we maybe associate with breaking news, but it's also the types of stories which are usually quite negative and morbid. This year, it's obviously been tragic for lots of other reasons. What sort of strategies are in place for mental well-being of your your breaking news staff at the moment, particularly given, of course, we're in remote working situations, hard perhaps to check in as well?
1: This is something that you can't talk about enough. Um, it bothers me that we don't have all of the answers. We have our boss, um, Patrick LaForge, is one of the best bosses I've ever had in terms of work-life balance, knowing when to log off, um, knowing when to engage in your off hours. um, And we kind of take that messaging to heart. I try to. Um, I am one of those people, like I suspect a lot of your listeners who... I think, especially right now, it's like, I close the big screen, I go to the couch and I open the tiny screen and I watch TV and, and continue to troll Twitter. And it's like, I can't, I, you can't do that. <laughs> you just can't. And so I've personally done a lot of work this year on like going out for a walk and, and, and you know, logging off and having someplace outside to be for a little while, if at all possible. Um,
0: is that, is that really enforced and, and checked on?
1: I mean, no one's gonna say get offline. You know, you think about expectations. Is the expectation that you are on 24 hours a day? Is the expectation that if something happens, you are the person to respond to it? Or is the expectation that you can hand off, that you can trust other people to be on something? Um, And this year, I think, you know, the the coronavirus briefing at the New York Times has just been a machine and has been fed as as one of our main vehicles for just telling people the story of this year and that one of the reasons that it is such a success is that it works in shifts because you know, people in London and Hong Kong work on it in the early morning hours. They hand it over to people in New York um, who then hand it over to an afternoon evening crew who then leave a really great note in a public Slack channel. And they say, here's what we did today. Here's what we've prepared for you tomorrow and we'll do it all again. As the New York Times and as a lot of other news organizations start to think about being global and what that truly means is you do have to hand off. You do have to, you know, share the responsibility. Sometimes what I do here in London is something happens. I just get up a short version of a story and I hand a note to the national desk as they're logging on. And I say, this happened. Here's what we did for you. Here's the calls we have out. And then they hand it over to one of their correspondents later in the day. And that's by design, is that we're not going to be, we don't have to be completionists. There are always resources coming in to
0: help. I like that point, because breaking news is very competitive, right? We all want to be the first to the punch, and perhaps that makes people feel like they can't log off if they need to. Do you think about that? All the time. Yeah.
1: Um, And I think what the Times is doing with the Breaking News Hub and with giving us this almost 24 seven availability is this idea of get it up, you know, be competitive about it, be smart about it. Um, and then just keep building on what, you know, and sometimes that is the same reporter editor combo. Sometimes that is the national desk bringing in their expertise a few hours later, sometimes, um, you know, thinking of, going back to the wildfire example, you know, these are, these are 24 seven stories. The fires don't stop burning at midnight Eastern. Um, but the, the experts in firefighting and in covering fires have to sleep. And so you're thinking of, you know, put something up, put up the basics, um, report out as much as you can, and then either hand it off to the people who are waking up or decide, you know, this is all the New York Times needs to do on this story and we can all move on. Um, And I think part of that is, I mean, you, you can't do that without a conversation about your resources and how many people do you have in coming in later? And what else is happening that would mean that you can't, like if X is happening, you can't do Y. And so you're triaging which one, and then you're trying to figure out, can we do modest versions of both? Can we just go all in on the other and just figuring out how to cover the world without exhausting everybody.
0: I can see how that would help people log off and that, um, you know, when, when the, I don't know, seven, eight, nine hours are done, that's it. It's someone else's priority, right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's, it's not that every time. Sometimes you just want to own the story and we're all journalists and we all have that drive and, and sometimes you do um and then sometimes you don't have to and it's just recognizing which is which
0: closing question for you here erin is looking into sort of 2021 how are you kind of shaping up and gearing up for that with what might be more of the same challenges uh, ahead
1: um i think a lot of it is taking taking the lessons that we've learned this year um i i moved here 2 months ago and i've been in the new york times office once um And so, you know, when I looked for an apartment, I looked for a place that had a space that I could work from home. Um, That's not changing. So going into 2021, you're still looking at a very distributed workforce and group of editors. So some of of the things that I'm looking forward to about 2021 are we've all learned how to communicate better, more transparently across time zones and across desks and across, we're all so much better at it than we were a year ago. and then some of the tools that the New York times has developed over the last year, you know, our live briefing tool is, is just tremendous and we didn't have it a year ago. Um, you know, we've, we've built entire products around how do we make this coronavirus coverage better, but then that led into, how do we make our political coverage better and deliver it with this new tool? Um, and so we've ended up with this entire sort of um, array of tools and products at our fingertips that were built out of necessity for this year and will still continue to be necessary in coronavirus coverage, but also where else can we apply them? And I, it's like a giant sandbox to me um, because we now have this incredibly more streamlined global operation that is just only going to get better
0: well i I hope you get to spend a bit more time in the newsroom in 2021 erin thank you (laughs) in the meantime you know it's been great speaking to you about this um breaking news team. it's been really insightful and thank you so much for all of your time i really appreciate it
1: yeah happy to be here thank you so much
0: great to speak to erin there and there's lots of lessons for all of us as we approach the end of the year i think Even if you don't work on a breaking news desk and your news organisation isn't as well resourced as the New York Times, I think it's useful to remember that our bandwidths are only so wide, and there's only so much we can cover. This idea of passing the baton to relieve staff of duties and closely monitoring the plates they are spinning, these are two lessons to take to heart. If you like what you heard today, you can listen to more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. And we would also love to hear from you for our final podcast of the year. We are asking all of our listeners one simple question. What is your one hope or wish for the media industry in 2021? Give that some thought and when something comes to mind, please send a voice clip your answer to me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. Please try to supply the best audio quality that you can manage and we will feature the best submissions on next week's episode and I really look forward to hearing all of your responses. You can also get in touch with me if you'd like to feature on the podcast next year or if you have any other feedback on the show. It's always appreciated. That's all we have time for this week. I've been your host Jacob Granger. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.